Reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So my name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. It's so great to uh, be together on Christmas Day. And this week, um, I was thinking about how hard it can be to find the right gift. And I was remembering a little while back for a workplace Christmas party. I especially find Secret Santa gifts hard to get the right gift. But this one year, I thought I'd found the perfect gift. It was, we had to buy a $20 gift and then it would go into a pile at the work Christmas party in the middle and people would grab it at random. So I... Um, I happened to find this pair of hair clippers, you know, like shavers, for 20 bucks at one of those bargain shops. I wasn't sure what would actually happen if you used it, but that didn't matter. I thought, this, this is hilarious. What a funny gift. But what I didn't count on was my um, boss's kids were invited to the Christmas party as well. And who should get my $20 head shaving gift but her hyperactive eight-year-old son <laughs> who spent the rest of the party running around trying to find a PowerPoint with... His mum, my boss, completely unimpressed. I was really glad it was secret Santa at that point. <laughs> Finding the perfect gift is really hard. And, and even when it's not random but you know the person really well, sometimes it's even harder. Like every year I, I find it really hard to find the gift that's going to communicate to Kathy, my wife, just how much I love her. And, you know, special sourdough equipment just doesn't do it this year. But sometimes you get the right gift at the right time, and it can be life-changing. On my um, 17th birthday, my family threw me a party, and I wasn't the most confident 17-year-old kid. You can see why here. <laughs> and like a lot of 17-year-olds, I didn't feel like I had that many close friends. But that birthday party, where people travelled from quite a while, to quite a distance to be there, uh, it, really, it really blew me away. And particularly what blew me away is that they'd all secretly put in money to buy me my own guitar. Now, before that, I'd, I'd just been playing my dad's 12 string, which means I kind of looked a bit like this. <laughs> like a f 
But they got me a, a, a six-string guitar for myself and it blew me away. No one had any, ever done anything like that for me before. It moved me. It, it even changed, in some ways, the way I thought about myself. The right gift at the right time can do that. It can be powerful. It can make all the difference for how you view yourself and your life. Now, I'm kind of curious whether anyone got a gift like that today, but probably not, because it's pretty hard to find a gift like that. But the first Christmas, properly understood, is a gift like that. The first Christmas is all about God giving us the kind of gift that's incredibly powerful and incredibly life-changing. These last couple of weeks we've been talking about how this year's such a very different year, very different Christmas because of COVID. But we've also been talking about how the first Christmas has the potential to make a very big difference to our lives because of what it communicates. You know, all truly great gifts, ones that just hit the nail on the head, they tell you something about the giver, something about the receiver and something about the relationship between the two. And that's definitely the case with Christmas. It tells us something about God, the giver, tells us something about ourselves, the receivers, and it tells us something about where we're at with God. So let's just have a little look at that for a second. What does the gift tell us about God, the giver? Well, God's gift at Christmas is himself in Jesus. God come to us in human form. In Jesus. His gift is all about going to extreme lengths to save a relationship. It tells us that God is good and it tells us that He's compassionate. It tells us that He's so determined to make a way that we can have a relationship with Him, that He's prepared to come to us as one of us, eventually die for us. Properly understood, God's gift communicates that He's generous. And passionate about knowing us. But what about us? What does the gift of Christmas tell us about ourselves? It tells us two things that on the surface might seem a little bit like they're in conflict with each other. So first it tells us that we're incredibly valued by God. You know that the gift of the guitar that I was talking about um, a couple of years later, I, I came in and, and got it out of its case to find that the neck had snapped on it. And it was completely unfixable, really. It was terrible. But the thing about that gift is it wasn't really the guitar itself that, that communicated, uh, that was the real value of the present. It was what it pointed to. Like I said, I wasn't the most confident 17-year-old. And, and that gift communicated to me that my friends and family thought I was valuable. Well, the gift of Christmas tells you that you're more valued than you could ever dream or imagine. You might not know it. You might not feel it. Life might have made you doubt it. But God gives himself to us in Jesus because we matter to him more than we'll ever ever understand he made you he designed you to look the way that you you do he made you to have the personality that you have he he likes that about you and god so values you that he he moves heaven and earth to make it possible 
to save his relationship with you. That's what this gift tells us about ourselves. But the other thing that this gift tells us about ourselves, and this is where it might seem to be in tension with that, is that this gift tells us that we're actually lost to God. There's a way of thinking these days that you know, God's there always waiting for us if we want him. Just there on standby. But we can take him or leave him and it doesn't really matter. And we feel like God should be happy with that. You know, he should be big enough to just accept whatever you know, we want to be, whoever we are, whatever we want to offer him. And if God does have a problem with us, well, that's really his problem. But this gift, God's gift, it actually says that we're more messed up than we realise. You don't give a gift like this for no reason. You don't cross heaven and hell like God is crossing unless there's a desperate problem to be overcome. One Christmas when my sister was about 17, she just didn't show up all day, at all. She was dabbling with drugs at the time and whenever we tried to help her, she'd just sort of cut us off. And so all day we had no idea where she was or if she was even okay. Do you know what was impossible for us to do that Christmas? It was impossible to just pretend that it didn't matter. That nothing was wrong. You know, the whole day was, was heavy for us. But for some reason, it's kind of like we expect God to do that. We expect him to just pretend it doesn't matter that we've, in effect, cut him out of our lives. He's never going to do that. We might be okay with it, but God's not okay. His gift says to us, we're incredibly valuable to him, but it also says we really are lost. We cut ourselves off from God, which is what the Bible calls sin. That's where the relationship is at. From our end, we've devalued it to the point of killing it. But from God's end, he still values us to the extent of sending his own son to become one of us, to restore that relationship. It's a powerful and it's a life-changing gift if we see it for what it is. But relationships are always two-sided, aren't they? They're always two-sided, which means God's gift to us is only powerful and life-changing if we respond to his gift. And that's really what I want to talk about today very briefly. I want to change gear and just spend a, a few minutes thinking through how it is that we could respond to God's gift. Because there, there are only really three responses you can have. There's always only ever been three responses and we see those three responses, actually in the passage, the bit of the Bible that was read just before. They're old responses, but they're the same responses we could have today. And the first response to Jesus that, that we saw and that we find still today uh, is that he can be ignored. I mean, that's what we saw in the passage. If these people were singing the Christmas carol, O come all ye faithful, they'd sing in the chorus, O come, let us ignore him. So let me set the scene a bit and explain where you see this response. You've got these strange men called Magi, or wise men, and they turn up in Jerusalem, and in verse 2 they say this, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So these foreigners, they're interested in the birth of Jesus, but his own people, 
Well, they're caught by surprise, aren't they? Back then, great kings, they were, they were thought to be connected with events in the skies. And so people like Magi from places like Persia, they really did study the skies. And for some reason, God stoops to speak the language that these Magi understand, and, and he gives them the kind of sign that they recognize, a star. Now, whether the star was a natural phenomenon like we had, I think, a week ago with the alignment of a couple of planets, or whether it was a supernova or a comet, or just a supernatural light, who knows? It doesn't really matter. God can easily do any of those things. But however he does it, God sends these magi a message that they can understand that a king is born. He's not just relevant for his own people, not just relevant for the world, but relevant for the entire universe. A Roman historian from the first century called Tacitus, he wrote that the general belief is that a comet means a change of emperor. And both Tacitus and another guy called Suetonius wrote that people at that time were expecting a world ruler to come out of Judea. Suetonius wrote, an ancient superstition was current in the east that out of Judea would come the rulers of the world. Now, possibly the Magi were even aware of the the Jewish scriptures, the Bible, where there's this clear expectation of a world ruler to come, like the ancient book of Numbers, which was written 14, which is about events 1400 years before Jesus was born, where this guy called Balaam, a bit like the Magi, travels to the people of Israel and he prophesied, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Now we don't get the backstory about these mysterious Magi. But what we see is that God lets these foreigners see something of the significance of what's going on. But his own people living in Jerusalem, the ones who should have been waiting for God's chosen king to break into history, well, they're caught by surprise. And then when they do hear from the Magi who are looking for this king, so where's this king? When they do hear it, what do they do about it? Nothing. They don't take the 10-kilometer trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They knew that the chosen king would be born in Bethlehem. They don't even bother to go and check it out. 10Ks, that's like from here to Inglewood or to Klemzig. And they couldn't be bothered. They ignore Jesus. Now, that's the reaction, the response we see back then. But it's probably actually still the most common response today, don't you reckon? It's, it's the response where we just don't find God's gift to us all that gripping. You know, this gift is just not speaking to me where I'm at right now. It's not that we're outright rejecting it or hostile. It's just that it's not what I feel I need or I want. It's the most common response to Jesus, but I reckon it's the most offensive, really. It's the worst. It's, it's the most bland and inappropriate of the responses you can have. Because at least a kind of violent reaction to God recognises something of who God is. But when we hear of the gift and the extreme lengths that God goes to to create relationship with us and we think, that's nice, well, it shows what we think of the giver. That he's bland, unimportant, harmless, irrelevant. And that's personally offensive to God. 
It's not understanding him right at all. Let's have a look at the other responses that we see in Matthew. The second response is one of pure abhorrence. You know, if these people were singing, O come all you faithful, in the chorus they'd be singing, O come let us abhor him. Now this is Herod's response. Now King Herod, he's not happy at all to have these foreigners come along looking for a baby who's been born of the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. And to us he can sound a bit of a comical character. You know, he's scared of a little baby after all. But what's terrifying is that Herod is a real person in history and what he does here is 100% completely consistent with his character in history. Herod got his position as king the old-fashioned way by murdering and killing people. He was a kind of client king under the Romans and he held on to his position ruthlessly. And he was a bit paranoid, but probably for good reason. He actually wasn't a true Jew, he was an Idumean. He taxed his people terribly. He was on the side of his people's enemies, Rome. And so he had every reason to fear a revolt from his people. Do you know, Herod in history killed three of his own sons because he was worried that they were plotting against him. And he knew that the great hope of his people was the long-awaited Messiah, the promised king who would save his people. But Herod, he hates the idea of losing his power. So he finds out that the Messiah was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And then he sets up this secret meeting with the Magi and he helps them on their way, but with a sinister motive. He's going to do away with this king once they find him. And then if you keep reading, you see when the Magi don't come back, he's furious and he reverts to plan B, which he has no qualms about enforcing just to be sure he has all the babies under two killed in the region. Herod, he abhors the idea of surrendering his rule to anyone, even if they are God's promised king. Now, this is a a less common response to Jesus, but it's still possible for us. We could have a a strong reaction against Jesus and, and hate him. You still see this response today. You know, some atheists seem to be saying, I don't believe in God, and yet at the same time they're saying, and I hate him. Some people on the extreme left seem to want to eradicate the name of Jesus entirely from public life. And there's still a surprising number of people who get agitated when you start talking about Jesus. got a challenge for you. At lunch today, gently start talking about Jesus and, and see if anyone gets agitated. There are extreme responses to Jesus like Herod, still today. And in a way, actually, this can be closer to home than we think. You know, what disturbed Herod was the idea of surrendering his rule to Jesus, that he would call the shots. And yet, isn't that still the fear of many of us today, that someone, God, would dare to tell us how to live? We see one more response in Matthew. The third one is the response of adoration. And this is where the people back then would have been singing in the chorus, O come, let us adore him. Now, this is the Magi's response. You know, the Magi travel from a distant land, probably somewhere like Persia, modern-day Iran. So they haven't travelled 10 kilometres. They've travelled 2,500 kilometres. They've crossed deserts and rivers and dangers to seek Jesus out. They've come to worship God's chosen king, 
He'll bring the dawning of a new era. And when they find him in verse 11, we read, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. They see something of who this child really is and they adore him. And us, if we've properly understood the gift and what it says about both the giver and us, the receivers, then we'll see that this is the natural response, the authentic response. God is taking drastic action to make it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And really, the only authentic right response is adoration. Kathy and I have got these friends whose son, unfortunately, is addicted to ice. They themselves are amazing parents. They've got four kids, and three out of the four are just the most lovely, kind, generous people you can imagine. But for some reason, this one son is very different. All through his life, he just would never respond to their love. He's just always resisted them, used them, and treated them like they were the problem in his life, and he'd be better off without them. So in the end, he ended up cutting them off. He ended up addicted to ice. He ended up robbing a lady at knife point at an ATM. And he ended up in prison. But through this all, our friends, they just kept loving him. They kept offering him the the gift of relationship. And while he was in jail, they were the only ones who visited him. Every weekend, they would travel four hours to offer the gift of relationship again and again and again. That's a powerful gift. That's a life-changing offer of relationship. But you know, the true tragedy of it all is that I don't think their son has seen that yet. He still asks for money and if they say no because they know what he's going to do with it, he gets angry and cuts them off yet again. He hasn't responded to their love. And I always wonder how my friends can just keep offering the gift of relationship like they do. But for them, their inspiration is God. Is the fact that he offers the gift of relationship on a, on a far, far grander scale than they ever could. And my question for you is, have you responded to this offer that God is giving you? You know, Christmas is God breaking through to us, making a statement to us, making a real way back to him. Come to save us in Jesus. Come to die for us. Come to forever be our king. Have you responded to that? God shows himself to be the compassionate and loving one. We show ourselves to be the cold and distant ones. But God wants us to respond differently, to stop ignoring him or stop hating him. And yes, he really does want us to adore him. Have you ever thought about that? Like I adore my wife, I adore my kids. God wants a relationship even closer than that. Now, you're about to rush into what's probably going to be a very busy day. I wouldn't blame you if right now you're sort of mentally placing the turkey into the oven and turning it on. But just before you you embrace the chaos of today, i just got two questions for you. First, if you think back over these last 12 months, just gone by, which of these three responses best describes 
how you've responded to God. Adoring Him? Raging against Him? Or just simple ignoring Him? And then one more question. What do you want for the next 12 months? Be honest with yourself. You know, if you've been ignoring God, are you comfortable with life going on like that? Or if you've been raging against God, are you not ready yet or unwilling to let that go? Or do you want the kind of relationship that God wants with you? The God who made you, knows you, designed you to be who you are. Now, if adoring God is what you're thinking, you know, you want that kind of relationship with God, can I encourage you to do something about it? Even today, do something about it. Because it's what God wants for you. It's why He's made you. It could be why He's brought you along today. This could be a very different Christmas for you, but a very different Christmas in a very good way.